Good morning. So good to see all of you today. Hey, can we just give it up for our worship team real quick? We appreciate you guys so much. They've been working hard. They came in Wednesday night here to do some work. It was spring break, so the school let us leave everything up for a week. It's nice to take a breath, but they decided to come Wednesday night and work hard anyway and getting ready for Easter, and so we really appreciate all of you guys and all that you do for us. Um, if you're new here today, my name is Nate, lead pastor at our Liberty Hill location, and I'd love to meet you at the top of the stairs to the left. We have a little guest suite. Come by and say hi. We'll have a special gift for you and uh, get to shake your hand and get to know you a little bit. Also, if today's your first day uh, or maybe you haven't yet, you're going to want to download our Venice Church app. You can take notes on there. You can keep up with everything going on, see all of our events that are coming up, and uh, stay connected to us in that way. I'm excited today. We're going to continue on in our series uh, called Numa. Numa, that's right. If you're here new for the first time, that word is simply, it's a Greek word that means spirit. It means spirit. And we're doing some study of the Holy Spirit, which is this fancy word, pneumatology. And so we're going to do some pneumatology today. We did last week, and then again next Sunday. Sort of an introduction, if you will, to the Holy Spirit. So a few things. To keep in mind, we touched on last week, we just want to recap a little bit. It's important to keep in mind when we come to this subject, we all come from different backgrounds. We all come from different places, different understandings. Some come from Methodist, Episcopalian, you may come from Charismatic, you may come from Catholic, you may come from Baptist. You may come from something I've never heard of, or maybe you come from no church background at all. We all come from some kind of place. And usually, depending on where we come from, we approach sort of the topic of the Holy Spirit, either with excitement, some people are excited, or curiosity, I'd like to learn more about this, or, or maybe concerned, like, man, I've seen and heard about some weird stuff, I don't know what to think about this, or maybe you're totally closed off. Now, if you were here last week and you're closed off, you probably didn't come back this week, unless we managed to pry you from closed to curious. And if that's the case, I'm glad that you are here. But this is sort of what we want to get to. And honestly, this is true for any message that we preach, for any series that we're going to do. Our hope is that even though our experience informs us, that it's actually God's word that forms us. And that's sort of a, a principle that we apply here at Venice Church to everything. Our experience is important. It informs us about a lot of things. But at the end of the day, we want to be what's in God's word that actually shapes and forms both our thinking and who we are. Last week, we started with this scripture as a springboard, and so I want to sort of jump off from it again today into what we're going to discuss. John 16, 7 says this. It's Jesus speaking to his disciples, and he says, in fact, it is best for you that I go away, because if I don't, the advocate or the helper, another translation says, won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you, him referring to the Holy Spirit. So last week, as we sort of dug into that, we talked about how sort of mind-bending and disorienting it must have been for the disciples to be walking with Jesus day in, day out. And then all of a sudden he tells them, actually, I have something better for you, but it involves me leaving. That would be tough. But we learned that it's true because he was able to send the Holy Spirit, not just for those 12 or to the 72 or to the crowd that followed him, but to all of us who would come later. We learned that the Holy Spirit is actually the third person in the Trinity, the third person in the Godhead. And we, we learned that he relates to us in three distinct ways. He's with us, which means he comes alongside us, right? He comes alongside us, points us to Jesus. We learned that at times he comes upon us and we're endued with power to do things, God enabling us to do things that are beyond us. 
And then thirdly, we learned that as followers of Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to live in each and every one of us to help us to be more like him. So today we're going to dig a little deeper into that, into sort of how the Holy Spirit works in us, through us, in the context of something called the New Covenant. Now, in, in Hebrews chapter 11, I alluded to this last week. I want to spend just a moment on it here as well. In Hebrews chapter 11, that whole chapter is something that some theologians would call the Hall of Faith. And so it's listing a whole, a whole bunch of people who followed God under the Old Covenant. And it's sort of outlining things that they did by faith. For example, uh, verse 4, Abel, by faith, offered God a better sacrifice than Cain, Cain did. Uh, by faith, Enoch was determined, approved by God. He actually pleased God. By faith, Noah was able to be motivated by godly fear and to do something that everyone around him thought was crazy. He did that by faith. By faith, Abraham had the courage to obey, to follow the call, to do what Yahweh, God, told him to do. By faith, Sarah gave birth way past her age. She didn't have the faith to begin with, but she got it later. She made it in. By faith, David, Samuel, Gideon, all of the prophets, Samson, go on and on. They, they did all of these great things by faith. And then the writer of Hebrews says, something curious at the end of the chapter. Verse 39 and 40, he says, all these, speaking of all of these who had done these things by faith, they were approved through their faith, but they did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us, something better for us. That something better is referring to the basket of blessings that the new covenant brings, of course, which a key blessing in that is the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. So with that in mind, and we're going to move quickly through these, today I want to look at eight ways that the Holy Spirit works in the world, works in us, and specifically what the Holy Spirit's role is in the new covenant. Okay, buckle up. We're going to move a little quickly through some of these. We're going to get through all eight and get you out of here in time for lunch. All right, here we go. Number one, the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin. We get this from John 16, 8, among other places, but it says when he comes, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. We covered this last week, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but it's important for us to remember that part of the work of the Holy Spirit is to convict us of sin, to sort of prick our conscience, if you will, to let us know that we have done or are doing something that is unrighteous, that is wrong, that is sinful. So I tell people sometimes, and I try to remind myself of this, that uh, there, there's a lot of people like, we have to measure ourselves, don't we? We like to compare ourselves. We like to kind of know where we stand. What are the KPIs at work? You know, how is this person doing at this thing that I want to be doing better at? We measure ourselves at a lot of things. And I found that Christians, they, they tend to do the same thing. We tend to measure, like, man, how am I doing with the Lord? So I'm going to give you a measuring stick that actually matters. A measuring stick that doesn't matter is like knowing Christianese, Christian language to show up. Yes, brother, I'm, I'm blessed beyond belief. God, I'm, I'm the first and not the last. I'm the head and not the tail. All these things that we say. And those are true, but knowing to say those things just means that you have knowledge. That's really all we really know from it. Now, it may be revelation for you. maybe something you walk in. It could be more, but we don't know that. And, and I think sometimes maybe you don't know that, and I don't know that. We say things that we learn, and they become rote. But here's, here's a measuring stick. When's the last time that the Holy Spirit pricked your conscience and said, you are in a place of unrighteousness here? So you can know a lot about God. You can talk about God. You can fool other people into thinking that you know God. But part of the role of the Holy Spirit is to actually put his finger on that thing in your heart, in your mind, in your life, and say, hey, hey, hey this I'm bringing, not, not condemnation, but conviction for you to come under and go, Lord, help me. Thank you for the blood of Jesus to apply to that. 
but help me to be better. This is part of the work that the Holy Spirit does in the world, and he still does inside of you and me. So look for that. And by the way, when that happens, as Paul says, don't sear your conscience. Don't, don't say, don't tell me that. Don't, don't push him away. Hear that word. Hear that conviction. And then do something about it. Do something about it. And by the way, let's be people who are, give each other permission to change, to become more like Jesus. Amen? All right. That's another message for another time. Number two, the Holy Spirit does this next. He testifies about Jesus. John 15, 26. When the counselor comes, the one I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. It's just important for you to know this, that part of the role of the Holy Spirit is to open the eyes of your heart and mind so that we can see Jesus clearly. If all we see is what we've done, we're left in a state of confusion. What do I do about that? And then we begin a process of knowing what to do about that. Next is, okay, by the way, you, person, human, you're unrighteous. You're sinful. You have an issue. Now let me show you a different person who is not. That person's name is Jesus, and he lived a sinful life. He died in your place. He was raised to life again to overcome death itself and victory, and he extends that to you, right? We have to see and know who Jesus is rightly, and I'm here to tell you, you can't do that by just information alone. You can read, you can study, you can know, but there has to be a revelation inside of you about who Jesus really is, and that comes from the Holy Spirit. Now, when that comes, but number three, the Holy Spirit will do another thing that's really, really important, and it's this, he will, he will give us new birth. The Holy Spirit will give us new birth. That's right. You cannot be born again apart from the Holy Spirit. You can't experience newness of life without the Holy Spirit. Let's look at John 3, 3 through 5. I love this passage. I refer to it a lot because it's a little bit of a hinge pen for me as I see the story of Jesus in the New Testament. The curious Pharisee Nicodemus has come and he's asking Jesus how he can enter into the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How can anyone be born when he's old? Nicodemus asks him. Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? Kind of a little sarcastic answer there. And Jesus answers, truly I tell you, unless someone's born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now here's Nicodemus, a Pharisee. And what he's really saying is, I believe this is what he's saying. Jesus, you seem to be someone special. You seem to have knowledge and understanding that maybe we don't have. We have all these rules and regulations, and if we want to inherit the kingdom of God, if we want permanency in God's coming kingdom, then we have to do all of these things perfectly. And I just want to know, Jesus, what do you think about that? And Jesus says nothing about that. He says, Nicodemus, you have to be born again. You have to be born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus is confused. But Jesus is telegraphing because he's expecting Nicodemus as a Pharisee would know his Bible. And so without telling him where it came from, he's referring to an Old Testament prophecy that was given through the prophet Ezekiel. Let me show you this. Let me show you this. Ezekiel 36, verse 26 to 27. He says this long before Christ ever came. In the Old Testament, he says this. I will give you a new heart and put a new, say new, new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. See, this Old Testament prophecy was spoken about what would happen when Jesus came. This idea of God's spirit being inside of someone conceptually wasn't new. As a reality, it was brand new. It was brand new. And it was confusing to many. Perplexing 
to many. And yet, it's true. And Jesus is saying, hey, unless you're born of the Spirit, you cannot even inherit the kingdom of God. All the rules and regulations and keep them all. At the end of the day, what matters is, are you born again? Once you are, number four, the Holy Spirit does something really important. The Holy Spirit teaches us. Holy Spirit teaches us. John 14, 26. But when my Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is, the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything that I have told you. You see, when Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would come and teach, he really meant that. He really meant that. And here's, here's, here's how that works. So that you can go to the Bible. Let me just ask, and we'll show hands here because I'll raise mine first. How many of you have ever gone to the Bible and you've read like your chapter a day because somebody told you you're supposed to do that or maybe you're going through a Bible 365 plan. You read what you're supposed to read. You get through it and you're like, I have no idea what I just read. <laughs> yeah, I have no clue. I don't know what I just read. You know, Let me read it again. And then it gets worse. You're like, I don't know what that's saying, right? That's, that can happen sometimes when you're reading God's word. But let me tell you, one of the reasons that happens is because you're reading at the wrong time and you're just too tired. Okay, that's one reason. But another reason is because you are reading it with carnal eyes and with a carnal mind and you're trying to read something that is spirit and that is life and you're trying to understand it within your own faculties. And you might be able to do so in a historical perspective and if you're really smart or really disciplined then you can kind of read and start to put stuff together. But it is a different thing entirely to approach the word of God and say, Holy Spirit, Come and help me read this. Show me what I need to know. See, there's kind of two words in the Bible that, that really mean the word. One is logos. One is logos. That is the written word of the text of Scripture. But then there's rhema, which is revelation that gives you the word and then applies it to a specific situation in your life. And I'm here to tell you, you need both. Now, you can approach the logos with just your mind. And if you're real smart, Maybe you'll understand some of it. But you don't get the rhema. You don't get the revelation. You don't get the true application in your everyday life. Not in church, but Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday night, Saturday night, all those times. What does the word mean for me right now? That's the rhema, the revelation that comes through reading it with the Holy Spirit. Look at what Paul tells Timothy. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. He says this. All, everybody say all. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All right, I gotta go on a little tangent here for just a second. There are a lot of people, unfortunately a lot of pastors, these days who say, ah, we don't need the Old Testament. We can just actually unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament because we're in this new covenant. Now here's the dirty little secret. When Paul said, all scripture, do you know what his Bible was? It was the Old Testament. It was the Old Testament. Every part of that Old Testament that gets hard to read, that your eyes glaze over about halfway through Leviticus, and you're thinking, when is this going to end? You know, you're going through the whole Bible. All of that is what Paul's talking about when he tells Timothy, hey, everything you have in the word is profitable and beneficial for you to build you up, to give you what you need to actually follow Jesus. And so now today we have to look at that and go, man, that is God's word. Now we understand the Old Testament in light of what Jesus has done, the finished work of the cross, the new covenant. It gives us sort of a lens and a grid to understand it, but we absolutely do not separate from it. We do not unhitch from it. That that Bible was Paul's Bible, and that is the Bible that he told Timothy, you have to read, and all of it is valuable to you. 
And the reason it's important that we get this right, because in the first century, there was a a group of of heretics known as the Gnostics. And the Gnostics, among many of their crazy ideas, they had decided that there's actually two gods. There's a bad one and a good one. There's there's an old covenant God that's wicked and mean, and now there's this new one that's loving and kind. Sound familiar? What does the world tell you these days about your God? Uh, We want Jesus that peddles in butterflies and puppies and rainbows but we don't want that God of the Old Testament that tells us what we should do. Now, the truth is they don't know what they're talking about when they say that. Jesus had many hard things to say. He just incorporated the person, the embodiment of love on a rescue mission along the way. So we cherry pick, pick and choose. Okay, I'm gonna get off of that for a second, but here's all I'm gonna tell you. Your Old Testament is really, really important. So we're gonna, we're gonna bring that to bear in messages here. As you stay with us over time, you're gonna hear a lot of Old Testament just like new because it's all profitable. Now, here's another thing you have to know. The Holy Spirit teaches you, which means that I can't be the only one who teaches you. Now, if you're, if you're like me, hopefully you listen to other teachers and pastors and podcasts and lectures and all that, but maybe you don't. And even if you do, guess what? All those people aren't supposed to be your primary teacher anyway. The Holy Spirit is your teacher. I have to live in such a way that I approach the scripture and say, Holy Spirit, teach me. Not give me something for my message. Not help me to sermonize a little better, but put your finger on my heart, put your finger on my soul and teach me what I need to know that I have been missing. The Bible says in Ephesians 4.12 that that pastors and teachers are given as gifts to the church for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. But listen to me, as important as it is that you come to church, that you sit under good teaching, that you use discernment and you listen to other people and other voices and all of that that have gifts, true gifts of teaching and preaching and pastoring, it's important that you remember the Holy Spirit is the ultimate teacher. So listen, anything I teach you, you take it, go right back to the Bible, you invite the Holy Spirit in, and you investigate that, and let him be the one that ultimately teaches you what is true. All right, number five, closely related, we're going kind of off the same verse of 1426. At the end, it says, he'll remind you of everything I've told you. The Holy Spirit helps us to remember, helps us to remember. This happened with the disciples, and it's recorded in John 12, 16, says this, His disciples didn't understand at the time that this was a fulfillment of prophecy. But after Jesus entered into his glory, they remembered what had happened. And they realized that these things had been written about him. See, at first, they didn't get it. But then the Holy Spirit came and helped them to get it. You have to raise your hand, but how many of you have ever been sitting and talking with someone? And they present to you a situation, a circumstance, or a problem. And all of a sudden, something that you read in your Bible a year ago comes to mind. You're like, actually, let me share this with you. I've got this thing. I've got this thought. You know, my grandpa used to say, God gave you two ears and one mouth so you could listen twice as much as you talk. That's probably true. Uh, But also, I think God gave us two ears to sort of symbolize the fact that we have one ear to the ground, one ear to the world around us, but we keep one towards heaven at all times. When I approach something and I'm, I'm talking with any of you or we're sitting at Starbucks, I'm listening to you, but I'm also praying, Lord, what are you saying right now? What are you saying What are you saying through what they're saying? What do you you want me to say to them? And very, very often, I've lost count of how many times as I'm listening, scripture comes to mind. Scripture comes to mind. The Holy Spirit will help you to remember. Now, here's the key. I can't help you remember something that you never knew. That's called teaching. That's, That's what he just did. The Holy Spirit will teach you stuff that you did not know before. 
And then later, later on, after you've put the word of God in you, David says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. After you've hidden the word of God in your heart, the Holy Spirit then will come and help you remember what Jesus said, what's in the word. Listen to me, I've read the entire Bible. I cannot stand up here and recite it for you. I wish I could, that would be impressive. I can't even recite 10, 15% of it off the top of my head. But it's all in there because I've read it all. And so now when it's needed, when it's there, I've given God something to work with. And I continue to put it in there every day, right? We just put it in there, put it in there, put it in there. Give the, give the Holy Spirit something to work with. If you're not reading your Bible, start there. And then watch, he will bring to remembrance from the word what you need in the moment. Put the Logos in and watch the rhema come. Come on with the lights. There we go. Uh, hopefully we'll get them right. Number six, we need a building, Lord, help us. All right, number six, the Holy Spirit helps us to pray. The Holy Spirit helps us to pray. Somebody asked me, do you make that stuff happen so people remember to give to the pledge for the building? I said, no, but that's a pretty good idea. Uh, if I could time it just right, it would it, it'd be timed a little different. So that's just the Lord, okay. All right, the Holy Spirit helps us to pray. Romans 8, 26 through 27, it says this. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. <clears throat> for example... We don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will, God's own will. I think we're being honest here. We all struggle at times knowing how to pray and what to pray for. I mean, how many of you, come on, I'm gonna put my hand up again. How many of you have ever, like something is wrong. You don't have to think about it. You're not sure how to feel about it. And you definitely don't know how to pray about it. You sit down and you start to pray and you got nothing. Anybody else? All right, I'm just making sure. I have at least seven of us. Okay, here we go, a few more. Praise the Lord. Now I'm preaching to somebody. We sit down to pray and we have no clue what to pray. Why not? Carnal-minded. Same reason you can read God's word and come away and get nothing from it is why you can sit down to pray and not even know what to pray. Most of my prayers start out like this. Hey, Lord, it's me again. Help. <laughs> I'm not sure what to pray. I'm not sure what to ask for. But Holy Spirit, I invite you in. Will you lead and guide my thinking, my heart, my spirit? Will you pray through me and bring me into alignment with whatever it is you're saying and doing here in this? And he will. Maybe you've experienced this too, but so often when I pray for people, just last week, several times, happened last Sunday, happened again on Monday, happened again on Thursday, someone says, Pastor, can you pray for me about this? I start praying from understanding, and where I end up is not where I thought I was going to end up. Because I begin to pray, and then invite the Spirit in, and now life's an adventure. <laughs> I don't know what's gonna come out of my mouth next. I mean, I just keep on going. Now let me say this, uh, it, it, but the Holy Spirit doesn't take you over. This isn't like the exorcist, all right, where you're just gonna be totally uncontrollable. The Bible says that the gift of prophecy is subject to the prophet. You're in control of your own tongue, your own mouth, what comes out. You have to open your mouth and exercise your own volition over your body, but the Holy Spirit will pray through you and with you, and sometimes you just don't even know what to say. Sometimes the groanings are so deep Maybe the pain is so deep, the confusion is so deep, what you've been going through is so hard, you cannot, cannot, will not ever figure out what to say, what to pray, and how to go about it. But you put yourself in a place of humility and you say, Spirit of God, pray with me through this, about this. 
for this. I need you. And sometimes what comes out isn't words that you even know or can express. It's called groanings too deep for words. Sometimes there's other words that come out. And this message isn't about that. We'll talk about gifts of the Spirit next week. But the Bible talks about kind of two, maybe even three different ways that the Holy Spirit uses our tongue to pray, to prophesy, to speak. And one of them is to pray in accordance to his perfect will, which you and I cannot do in our own mind. Listen, if Jesus went to the garden and said, I have a will, which is to not be crucified. (laughs) But you, Father, if you have a will, says that's what we need to do, then that's what I'm going to do. Not my will, yours be done. Jesus prays that prayer. And so can you, and so can I. But we can only get there by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Number seven, speaking of speaking, the Holy Spirit empowers us to speak. John 3.34 says this, for he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. Now hear me, this is not just talking about what I'm doing right now. What I'm doing right now is something very different actually than this. Now this may come into play, it may be a factor, and I hope that it does. I hope that I'm speaking to you from the words of the Spirit, and you're getting some rhema, some revelation, and not just text off of a page. But we're not talking about the, 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 the gifts to the church of teacher. We're talking about every person being filled with the Spirit and having the boldness and the courage to say what needs to be said in a given moment. How many of you, ask yourself, I'm doing a lot of rhetorical, just ask yourself, because I want you to think about how this is affecting you. And maybe sometimes when something was awesome and you can say, thank you, God, or maybe when it wasn't so awesome and you can say, let's do it different next time. But how many of you have been sitting across from someone? Or maybe you're texting or maybe you're on the phone. And they present you with something, and they're saying, man, I, this is what the struggle is that I'm going through or my friend's going through. And immediately, you know the answer, you know the truth, but the truth's going to be hard to say, so you start to freak out a little bit inside. You're like, oh, I know what to say, but this is not going to be good. This might hurt them if I tell them this truth. They might think I don't like them if I tell them this truth. They may decide that I don't love them if I tell them this truth. And so you're inside, you're just cringing a little bit. You're like, I know what I need to say, but I just don't know if I can say it. The Spirit of God will give you the courage. The Spirit of God will empower you to speak if you're open to it. So when you approach these moments, your heart's going to want to close for the most part. Now, some of you just like to fight. You're like, let's go. That's not the right spirit either. It's not the right spirit either. There's a way to deliver truth in love. But let me tell you this, it is not loving to withhold the truth. That's the trap that we fall into. People need to hear the truth of God's word. And we think, because the world tells us, be more loving, affirming, accepting, and don't say the truth to them. That's not love at all. The way to love is to tell the truth. Now you can say that with kindness, You could say that with grace. You can understand that people are on a spectrum and they're not gonna go from zero to 100 overnight. Some do. That's what we call a miracle, all right? Most people are sanctified in a process. One to two, two to three, three to four, et cetera. But the loving thing is to to tell people the truth and still be there for them anyway, whether they like what you have to say or not. And the Bible tells us that the Spirit of God will empower us to speak truth. So don't approach those conversations on your own. 
When you go into them, I wonder what I can say to help them. I wonder how I can talk to them where they'll still like me. I wonder how I can speak to them so we can still be friends. All the wrong questions. God, what do you want to say and how do you want me to say it? Because at the end of the day, he knows that person better than you do. He knows you better than you know you. But he'll still work through us. We say it this way. Many times, God speaks through God's people by God's spirit. God will speak through God's people, but by God's spirit. Sometimes the Holy Spirit's talking to you and me directly, but I gotta be honest with you. For every time the Holy Spirit has spoken to my spirit directly, there's gotta be at least 10 more times that he has spoken to me through someone else who is filled with his spirit. Sometimes they know that's what they're doing and sometimes they don't. And the Lord says, hey, pay attention, this is for you. All right, that's how it goes. I'll give you one more example. Acts 2.14. Peter, we all think of Peter, the rock. The Catholics, he's the founder of the church, right? Acts 2.14, Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and proclaimed, fellow Jews and all you residents of Jerusalem, let this be known to you and pay attention to my words. This same Peter just a few weeks earlier was cowering in fear when approached by a little girl and said, I think I've seen you with that Jesus who just got arrested. The Bible said he cussed her out and said, I never knew him. Scared, hiding. When Jesus was arrested in the gardens, his, disgu- his disciples scattered like ants. Gone. And Peter denied, not once, not twice, but three times that he even knew the man. You got me mixed up. I don't know who he is. Now, here he is. Here he is. Still Passover time talking to all the same people who a few weeks before were screaming, crucify him. And Peter was scared. He didn't want to be a part of that. But now Jesus has been resurrected. Jesus has ascended to heaven. And Jesus has sent the Holy Spirit. And Peter, endowed with power from on high, stands up and proclaims now with no fear, with no trepidation, and begins to give one of the greatest sermons ever recorded in all of human history, written in the first couple chapters of Acts. This is all because of the work of the Spirit in him. Last thing I'll say about this, and then we'll move quickly to the last point. Speaking truth to people is not a personality type thing. Speaking God's word, sharing the gospel, that is not a temperament-based thing that we do. Well, you're, you're, you're kind of a person who likes to talk to people so that it comes easier for you. Yeah, but I might struggle with something that comes easier for you. That doesn't matter. God has called all of us to have a word ready in season, out of season. And if you actually stay in his word and walk in the spirit, the spirit will give you the words to say. On your own, might not be the right thing to do. In the spirit, probably exactly the right thing. All right, number eight, all of this comes together for the Holy Spirit to do a work, not just through us, but actually in us to help us become more like Jesus. Romans 8, 28. Listen, everybody knows Romans 8, 29. You've been coming to church for a few weeks. Oh yeah, God works all things together for my good. We write a whole bunch of songs about that. Haven't come across a whole lot. Romans 8, 29. Y'all wanna write a song on Romans 8, 29? Go for it, Joe. Let's get it going. Here we go. Romans 8, 29 says this. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son. So that his son would be the firstborn firstborn among many brothers and sisters. How many know? First he says he sent his only son, but now that's the one that he sent to the earth. But the one that he raised from the dead, it's not the only anymore. 
Now he's the firstborn. You can't have a first unless there's a second, third, fourth. If no one else comes after, you still have only. But here you have first. And what does it say? I'm not gonna get into all the, did God choose you or did you choose God? But here's what God chose for you. He chose for you to become like his son. That's what you're chosen for, to be like Jesus. And it's the power of the Holy Spirit that helps us to do that. We always have two choices. We can walk in the flesh or we can walk in the spirit. I wanna close by reading one final passage from Galatians. And then I got a little homework for you. You're gonna like this homework. You're like, man, you already give us paper, pen, write stuff down now, homework? Yes, homework, homework. You too, Greg, I got homework for you. Galatians 5, beginning in verse 19. We're gonna read first the deeds of the flesh. Then we're gonna read about the fruit of the spirit. Now it says, the works of the flesh, by the way, these are all the things you can do if there was no devil. <laughs> this is just the works of the flesh. You get into this trouble all by yourself, all right? The works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, adultery, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I'm warning you about these things as I've warned you before. See, it's okay to be a redundant preacher. Paul did it too. As I've warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, now in contrast, see which list you want in your life, that one or this one. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, and if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So there it is, flesh and Spirit, clear as it could be. The Holy Spirit does a lot of things. Put the list back up. He convicts us of sin. He testifies about Jesus. He gives us new life. He teaches us. He helps us to remember. He helps us to pray. He empowers us to speak. But his most important job is to help make you and me a little more like Jesus tomorrow than we are today. That's his job. And our job is to yield, is to submit to that. So here's your homework. Here's your homework. I want you to go back through Galatians 5 this week. And I want you to sit down. And maybe this is always how you approach the Bible. Maybe it's never how you've approached the Bible. I want you to sit down. I want you to pray first. If you have a real Bible, use it. Get off the phone. That thing will distract you. Something will come up. Get the real paper in front of you. Let your, let your eyes fall on the words, on the ink, on the page. Go to turn to Galatians 5. Invite the Spirit of God and say, Holy Spirit, help me to read this like I've never read it before. And as I read, Speak to me. Put your finger on what's in here. If there's anything in me that needs to die, show me that. And if there's anything in me that I don't have that needs to live that's not, show me that too. And then approach your reading a little different. I'm teaching here for just a second. There's a lot of different ways to read the Bible. You can just read it. It's okay. You can listen to it. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. Yes, that's great. Listen to your audio Bible. But when you sit down to go through the Bible with the Holy Spirit, I'm encourage you to slow down. So you get around verse 19 and you say, Holy Spirit, as I read this list, 
Would you put your finger on anything inside of me that's on these pages or anything close? And then read slow. Now, the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry. God, is there anything that's in my heart that I love more than you? Is there any idolatry in me? Show me if there is. Sorcery, hatred, strife. God, am I a person of strife? Am I causing problems everywhere I go? Help, help me. Show me if I'm doing it. I don't know it. Jealousy, anger, selfish ambitions. You get the point. And then get to the next list. Around verse 22, God, by your spirit, Holy Spirit, would you come? And if there be any of this fruit lacking in my life, show me what it is and help me to produce it. And then read like this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. God, could I use more love? Joy, God, am I lacking joy? And so on and so forth. Do you see how you can read the Bible that way? And it becomes more than just the Logos. The Rhema will come. The Holy Spirit will come. For some of you, even as I'm demonstrating in practice, he's already doing it. Right now in this room already puts finger on something. But I want to encourage you, ask you, plead with you, do the homework, go home and open it up, read it, get out your pen. It's not sacrilegious to write in your Bible. If he highlights, he puts his finger on something, we'll circle that thing. May put a date on it, say, Lord, let's come back to this. Let's keep praying until this thing is either out of me or in me, whichever list it's from. Watch and see what God might do. When you do this, here's what I can tell you. When he puts his finger on the things of the flesh and you say, okay, God, I'm gonna starve that out, it'll begin to die. When he puts his finger on some fruit that's not yet been producing out of your heart into your life, you say, God, help me to produce this fruit. Help me, actively help me walk this out. Fill me with your spirit. Let me be more joyful today than I was yesterday. That joy will begin to come and the fruit will become obvious. I pray that you would choose to allow the spirit have his work in you to produce good fruit that the flesh may cease. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. I pray, God, that your word has become more than just the logos on the page, but the rhema that speaks to our hearts. I pray that this week, God, that you would put your finger on things in us that need to go away and things that need to make an appearance for the first time in a while. We thank you, God, that in all of this, you're loving, you're kind, and yet also true word sometimes is like a comfort and other times it's like a sword. Whatever needs to be for each and every one of us, probably both, let it be. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message. You can stay connected with us at Vintage.Church or on Facebook by searching Vintage Church TX. At Vintage, we believe church is more than a place or a weekend activity. It's a spiritual family where Jesus is the center of our lives personally and our relationships collectively. If you're in the Liberty Hill area, we would love to have you join us this week. You can learn more about us, our service time, and plan your visit by visiting Vintage.Church slash Liberty Hill. We hope to see you soon.